good, coal man. Life is real good. What you and I don't, or what you don't realize is Cole's girlfriend broke up with him that Friday night before they went out Saturday to catch crawfish. And also, he can't find a job, and he's a young teenager trying to make a little money. Life is good, Cole man. Life is real good. You talking about whacking and sacking what God said through Phil Robertson's statements is God is whacking some people and trying to sack them with the truth. You see, Phil Robinson said, Rob Robertson said, if you are happy and content with a little or a lot, you have learned a valuable lesson. If you are happy and content with a little or a lot, you have learned a valuable lesson. All Phil Robert, Robertson, Robertson is saying, all Phil Robertson is saying is exactly what God says. He's not creating a new idea, a new thought. He is just telling us what God has said. Look on the screen. Look what God said through the Apostle Paul to the Christians at Philippi. Just look. We'll go to your Bibles in a little bit, but just look there. Paul wrote this. I have learned. I have learned. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. You see, contentment is a learned behavior. That's what it is. Children grow up with mothers and fathers or mothers or fathers, who teach them not to be content. Contentment is a learned behavior. If you don't know how to be content and you're an adult, invite me into your life. I'm dead serious. Give me 40 minutes, 45 minutes a week. And God will teach you how to learn to be content. See, that's a learned behavior. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Some of you heard Phil Robertson say that, and you're thinking, yeah, you're a millionaire. I think he's worth like $8 million, they say today. You're a millionaire. You can be content. Do you know the guy who wrote these words? Phil Robertson's words aren't copied in the Word of God. Paul's words are, Paul's in prison right now, probably going to die at this point. And he's writing to Christians who are free like you and I, who have gathered for worship, and he says, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned, look what he says, the secret of living in every situation. And in mankind's existence, that is a secret. Because your mom and dad hadn't taught you how to be that way. And some of you young mothers, you're going to teach your children how not to be content. Because you can't be content. You won't learn it. I have learned the secret of living in every situa situation. Whether it is with a full stomach or empty. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Let's go look at verse 13. Most Christians will quote verse 13 if they've been around the church very long in situations that do not even fit this context. 
They'll quote that for living victorious life. You know where that verse fits in? With learning to be content. You say, I can't be content. I lost my job. I can't be content. I lost my girlfriend or boyfriend. I can't be content. My marriage is falling apart. I can't be content. My child died in an accident or a sickness. I can't be content. Paul says, I'm going to tell you what I have learned when it comes to contentment. When it comes to having a little or it comes to having a lot. I have learned that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. See, most Christians misquote that verse. You can use it on the other things, but in context, one of the most quoted verses by Christians deal with contentment of life. Contentment of life. And in America, we are not people who are contented with life. Look, look at what Paul wrote to Timothy. This is the guy he mentored. Look what he wrote to Timothy. He said, yet true godliness and contentment. And in the, in the Greek, that word contentment there means to have satisfaction with what's going on with self. See, he says true godliness and contentment with self, okay, what's going on, is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we, can take, we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. If you've got enough food, enough clothing. Most of us got so much clothes, we can't wear them all within a season. Okay? Food and clothing. Most of us got enough food that really we could stand to lose a little weight. And I'm not trying to point fingers. I'm just telling you. He says, learn to be content if you have enough food and enough clothes. And he goes on. He says, but people. Now look what he says. Because he's talking about contentment and godliness. That's great wealth. That's better than having a million dollars. Okay? That's what he's saying. Look at what he goes on and says in verse 9. But people who long to be rich, in the Greek, that means people who want to increase their possessions. That's what rich means. Man, he got new oxen. I want new oxen. Man, they added a, a stone room onto their house. I want to add a stone room onto my house. See? He's saying, but people who long to increase their possessions... Fall into temptation. And look what he says. See, if, if that's my goal to increase my possessions, he says, I fall into temptations and a trap and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. In other words, keeps them from experiencing what they want. What does he mean by that? It's sort of like this. Man, I want a new car. I'm going to get that new car. I'm going to go buy that new car and I will take that big debt for 74 months or 60 months. Now I'm trapped for 74 or 60 months. I tell you what, everybody's got one. Whoa, oh, I meant to bring it up here. I, I, I got this flip phone. Everybody else is, that's old-fashioned. They all got these smartphones. Woo-woo-woo-woo-woo-woo-woo-woo. Look at this, click-click, boy. I got the internet with me wherever I go. Oh, oh, what do you say? My monthly payment is going up? A trap. Now look, I'm not opposed to new cars. And I'm not opposed to smartphones. I'll have one one of these days. When it won't be a trap for me. See? When I know it's not a trap. 
But people who just want to increase their possessions are people who are going to fall into temptation and they're going to get trapped by the foolishness and the harmful desires that will plunge them into saying, I don't have enough money to buy food. You know why? Because i got to pay for my smartphone. I don't have enough money to buy food. Pastor, will Connection help me buy food? Because i got to pay for my car. Look at the next screen. Look what the writer of Hebrews said. Because Phil Robertson, Robertson was just saying, what God has in His Word. Be satisfied with what you have. Why? For God has said, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you. In other words, God is saying with that, and, and we saw Luke write it, that God says, I'll give you everything you need if you will seek first my kingdom. I'll give you everything you need. God, Paul, or whoever wrote this, Barnabas, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews is saying, be satisfied with what you have because God will give you what you need. God will give you what you need. Our contentment is based upon our faith that God will give us what we need. That's how contentment comes. And it's a learned behavior. And you're teaching your child that already. You're teaching your child to learn to be content with love by the way you show that love toward other family members or the way you dish approve of other family members you show that by coming home and complaining about your job and your child will probably go up grow up and not learn to be content with their work you show that by not having enough money to do things and your child will grow up and never find contentment you will pass on this heritage Jesus constantly reminded people you know what you got to do you got to come back to where God wants you to be because what happens is we get into the way we do things and that's where we're comfortable. And when somebody, listen, when somebody tells us a new way of doing things, it makes us uncomfortable. And when it comes from God, we tend, we tend to say, oh yeah, but I don't want to do it that way. If you have your Bibles, I'd, op- I'd like you to open them to Luke, the 13th chapter. We stopped at verse 9. We're going to start at verse 10. If you have those New Testaments, it's page 64. And I, I welcome you to take one of those New Testaments. They're free. They're so you have it, so you can find real quick where we are at, okay? And we're going to look at that. The last song we sang talked about God making everything new. You are here because God wants to make something new in your life. He does. And it just happens that he used songs to try to challenge you and he will use a speaker to try to challenge you. But what I will challenge you with are the words that Jesus Christ speaks. And Paul never walked with Jesus. Paul never talked with Jesus. I mean, sorry, Luke never walked with Jesus. Luke never talked with Jesus. But Luke wrote in the very beginning of the book, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, he says, I'm out checking this out i'm carefully investigating these things that we have heard so that the guy he's writing to will know the truth about jesus christ and we're going to look and see what luke has discovered that jesus did and said i guarantee you if you'll pay attention god will use it to begin seeking to make things new in your life because god transforms you and I into His image.
But before we do that, let's just, let's just bow together, if you would. I want to pray. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for this time. I want to thank you for, for Phil Robertson and, and the Duck Dynasty crew and their faith in you, their faith in family, their, their, their faith in what you have to say. I want to thank you that, that the men in their family and the ladies in their family talk about that when they are given opportunity. Father, I want to thank you for faithful people in our, our group here. I want to thank you yesterday. I want to thank you for, for the property you've made available to us. I want to thank you for people giving themselves. I want to thank you for those two men that, that, that work hard to get that drywall and that mud ride. I want to thank you for that lady that took her finger and just gave it to the wall and the windows as she made things look better before they're painted. I want to thank you for good food. I want to thank you for people coming alongside. I want to thank you that we do not need to feel alone when we are seeking to create the environment there on that highway. Father, I want to thank you for this time. I want to thank you for Luke doing what he has done. I want to thank you for for guiding him through your spirit to, to write this, to check things out and to write down these things. And Father, for preserving them so that we can learn from them. And I pray today that you help us. Help us to have insight and understanding. Father, we pray that you bring conviction into our lives so that our relationship with you will be made right. God, we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So if you're there at Luke, look at verse 10. Remember, Jesus is on a road trip to Jerusalem, okay? So everything he's saying... He's on a road trip to Jerusalem. We've got some new people here, okay? This is the promised land, the land of Israel. Jesus did most of his ministry in the northern section. That's around the Sea of Galilee. So that area is called Galilee, okay? That's where people who weren't so hot, okay? They weren't the metropolitan people. They weren't all the wealthy people. And people tend to say, can anything good come out of Galilee? Jesus does most of his ministry up there. And then he's heading toward Jerusalem. So he's taking some months and he's going from the north to the south because the metropolitan area of Jerusalem is in the south by the Dead Sea. And, and he's going to go there and he's going to do that because that's what God wants. And so he's making this trip and he's, he's, he's talking to people and crowds are getting around him. And sometimes he takes a break and he goes to church. Look at what verse 10 says. One Sabbath day. That was their worship day. That would have been their Saturday if if we would have called it Saturday back then, okay? That's the seventh day of the week. We worship on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, because that's the day Jesus rose from the grave. But we didn't choose that. As we look into the book of Acts, that is what God led His people, the Christians, to do, to worship on the Lord's Day, okay? So we just follow the example that God led the first followers of Jesus to do, so we worship on the Lord's Day on the first day of the week, the Sunday, because that's when Jesus rose from the dead. But one day, as Jesus was teaching in the synagogues, in the synagogue, I do want to call attention, Jesus went to church, okay? I've talked about he wasn't a street preacher, okay? That'll be another day, because there'll be another time he'll be talking to a crowd of people. Jesus went to church. Their church was the synagogue, okay? The, the, the temple, the great temple where every Jew would want to take a trip to, was down south in the metropolitan city of Jerusalem. But most folks lived in communities. We know from people who have done the demographic studies of historical Israel. We know during Jesus' time, most folks lived in small communities, maybe 20. 
maybe 50. 100 would have been a large community as Jesus was traveling along, of population. So they would build small synagogues, and that would be their church, and that's where Jews would go, and they would worship. And as was Jesus' practice, he would go to the synagogue on the Sabbath because he was a man in relationship with God. And what would they do? Listen, what would they do? They'd gather, and they'd sing songs. They'd hear music if there were instruments. And we know they used instruments from the Old Testament, okay? They would gather. They would hear music. They would sing songs. They would, they would fellowship, or they would shake hands and create community. And they would hear somebody talk from God's Word, which would have been the Old Testament. They would have had somebody might have read from the Word of God. Somebody would have taught about the Word of God. This says Jesus was teaching that day. As we've learned from what the Bible tells us in the New Testament, it was Jesus' practice to make Himself available. And these synagogue people would say, would you come? Would you come and talk to us? Would you come and read the Bible, God's Word, the Scriptures? Would you come and teach us? Because they knew He spoke in a way they hadn't heard anybody talk about. I'm going to tell you why. Because Jesus talked to people where they lived. He didn't talk about a God way back there. He talked to people where they lived and that a God that we get caught up talking about way back there wants to come and relate to today. And so they said he had authority like nobody else did. Look what happens in verse 11. And he's teaching. And he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight when Jesus saw her. Now, now Jesus is the teacher in the synagogue that day. That's a very important thing. And you know what? He'd been doing like this, and he looked out, and he saw her. He saw this woman. Jesus is busy teaching God's Word, but He's not too busy to see the individual. And I want you to understand, I think God gives us this. This is a woman to teach us something. This is a woman who for 18 years has been hindered physically because of a demon. And I told you, you have to understand demon possession and demon influence. You need to understand that. And if you're going through Luke, you hear me talk about it. I do not hide that. I don't get carried away with excess because if you concentrate on Christ, Christ brings deliverance. But this woman has been hindered physically by a demon, by demonic influence. And Jesus sees her. This is a woman who for 18 years, she can't stand. This is a woman who for 18 years has learned to be content, live with this. But you know what? She keeps her faith in God. How do I know that? We don't read anything about anything she says. Her action demonstrates that. Where does she find her? Where do we find her at? She's in the synagogue. She's gathered with God's people. She doesn't allow something that is of a discomfort, something that is a disadvantage to keep her from being in relationship with God and His community of people. And so she's there. And Jesus sees her. And look what it says in verse 12. When Jesus saw her, He called her over. I like that. Can you imagine? He's teaching. He stops. He says, hey, Hey, come on up here. Come here. What does that tell us about God? Because this is God in their presence, folks. This is the second person of the Godhead. He is fully human. He is fully God. And he's talking to the people who are there. And, and we understand the crowds of people that he talked to on the hillside. So probably this day, everybody's happy. 
when they get over, everybody says, how many do we have? That's the most people we ever had in church. Because that's what people tend to do. And he stops and he calls her over. I like that. I like it. If you have your message map, there's a page for filling in the blanks. If you would, look at the page for filling in the blanks. It has the date. Look at the first blank. Don't ever let Satan convince you that God doesn't have time for you. Be careful. Don't ever let him convince you that you're unimportant and that God doesn't have time. He does. He does. Look at verse 12. Let's go on. Called her over and said, Dear woman, are you, dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Verse 13, then he touched her and instantly, instantly she could stand straight. Now, I want to call attention. Did Jesus need to touch her? He could have just spoke her healing. I want you to see the personal relationship with God. He reaches out and he touches her. For all the rest of her life, she can talk about being touched by God. This is the great thing about God. God is a personal God. Don't go to a church that makes Him a God of history. Don't go to a church that makes Him a God way out there. He is a God of history. And He is a God way out there. But everything we learn from Jesus is He is the God of history and way out there who comes to be in relationship with us. You are not unimportant. I don't care what your parents may have told you. I don't care what. They may have fired you from a number of jobs. Maybe you've been married three times and they've failed. I don't care. To God, He cares about you. And He calls you to come to Him. And He will reach out to you. And He will touch you. And we see Jesus doing that. God who created everything. Bible says, in John, the first chapter, not anything was created that Jesus wasn't involved in creating. So here is God, the creator, in human form, in their midst, okay? And what does he do? He takes time to be with them. And he takes time. God, the creator, remember what the beginning of the Bible says? He spoke things into existence. Didn't speak you and I into existence. Read what the Bible says. He reaches down into the dirt. He, he knew he was going to have Image bearers. He's going to create us. He wants a relationship. So does he just say, I want a man, I want a woman? That's what he did with the sun, the stars, the moon. No. He has created an environment for us. We are his special creation. Matt kept talking about that. And what does the Bible say? He reaches down into the dirt of his creation and he forms man. And what does he do? He breathes into us. All other life form, he says, let there be an animal. Let there be a bird. Let there be a fish. But to us, you see, God reaches down for you. I'm going to tell you, you may be 14 years old and those people at school may always choose you last. Those guys never choose you to be their girlfriend. Those girls always make fun of you. But I'm going to tell you, God wants to touch your life. And I could run through the years and tell you that. We see that with Jesus. This great God creator comes and lowers himself to be with people who we know, who we know, are going to ridicule him, and they're going to think they're so strong that they can beat him, and they're going to nail him to a cross. Now there's a purpose for that. Stay with me in Luke. We're going to get to that, boy, when we get near the end of Luke. And the human beings did that. Why would such a great God let that happen? Matter of fact, you know, on the internet, some people say if Jesus was so powerful and if he was God, why did he let it happen? You know why he let it happen? Because he wanted to be in that synagogue. And he wanted to see that woman. 
And he wanted to say, come on over here. He didn't want to say, be healed. He didn't want to slap her upside the face. He touched her. God, I'm telling you, when God touches you and you understand that, it will transform that part of your life. The great God lowers Himself because He wants to relate with you and I. Uh, a few months ago, gosh, it's been almost a year, I think. Uh, you know the Kloster family. The Kloster family. Angela and Sean. They got five boys. Let's see if I can... Micah, PJ. Uh, I always get PJ mixed up. PJ, Corbin, Jesse, okay? And then they got Benjamin. And then they got a girl, Julia. Well, back, I think this was when Julia was first born. So she's a little bit over a year now, right? And so I remember in that hallway over there by the, by the children's area, uh, Angela had to do something. And I had finished doing something that was, it was after church, I believe. People were still roaming around and, and, and she had to do something. I said, well, I'll stay here and watch the boys, okay? And, uh, and, and Micah, he, he's able to take off. He takes care of himself. But, but there, there was... PJ and Corbin and Jesse. And so I'm watching the boys. And I, maybe she had to do something with Julia or something. But, but so I'm there. And, 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 and they're just sitting on the floor of the, right there at the top of that ramp. And I, I, I say, hey, Corbin, Corbin, you ever arm wrestle? Hmm. I get down on that floor. And I, I lay down on that floor. And I put my arm down. And I say, now you put your hand in here. And we're going to arm wrestle. And he gets there. You know, boys always want to do that, see? Okay, and we get there, and 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 and, and here is PJ and Jesse, and Jesse gets excited. Okay, Jesse always gets excited, doesn't he? Yeah, Jesse, that, that's Angela, that's Mom over there. Okay, and, and so and so Jesse gets excited, and 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 when it starts, they're they're just excited because there's some activity. Boys, you know, they don't like to sit. Okay, and so we start to arm wrestle, and I t- I take Corbin's arm, and I go, mm. and then he takes mine, and he goes, mm. And I take his and I go, mm. he takes mine and I go, oh. And I'll tell you, about three times, and, you know, I really put the tension on Corbin's arm. You, you ever arm wrestle? Really tears that muscle up. <laughs> you get it locked. Thanks, Brian. I, you understand that, don't you, man? Woo, locks it up. Foolish me did that once with a stronger guy than me. And I'm telling you, for about a half hour, it was like that muscle was stuck. Okay? So we're there. Okay? And, and, and so after about the third time, and I'm going, oh, my, because, you know, I get him here, and he gets me here, and oh, my, and, and, and I just finished taking some things down, so, and it was, it was apparently the summer or fall, or hot anyway, and I, and I had sweat on my, my forehead, but the kids don't see that. I go, whoa, look at that, you're making me sweat. Oh, man, he smiled. Jesse gets real excited. Corbin's going to take the pastor down, okay? And so I'm going again, and I'm going, oh, oh. And after about six times, I say, how about if we call a tie? He goes, okay. (laughs) I'm telling you, folks, I thought to myself, they're going to tell Micah, they're going to tell her dad, boy, we got a pastor who's a wimp. Corbin held him off. Okay? I thought that for a minute. And I thought, no, that's okay. Why did I do that? You see, I want to relate with them. I could have laid that boy's arm. I know some of you say, I'm not sure. Yeah, I could have laid that. <laughs> I could have laid that boy's arm down. But why did I do that? I who am all powerful to Corbin. How old would he have been a year ago? 
See, come on, I could beat a five-year-old. <laughs> Why did I do that? I wanted a relationship. And see, some of you are listening to me because in your family, I've done that with some of your boys. And you know what? You know what Jesse does almost every time he sees me? You want to arm wrestle me? <laughs> Why? Why did God? So much more powerful than us. Why did, why did the Creator God come to this earth, had no home of His own? Why did the, why did the Creator God come and really just lived in relationship with, with His creation? Who, who was going to ridicule Him? Who was going to argue with Him? Listen, people going to church are going to argue with God. And why did He let them? Why did them, He let them take Him and, and beat Him beyond recognition and put Him on a cross? Because you see, He loves us. And I'm telling you, I love Corbin. Your boys grow up, I'll tell them. Your girls grow up, I'll say, I love you. He loves us. That's why God does that. And look what happens. He comes, He touches this woman. And look what verse 13 says. What does she do? The last part of how she praised God. What, doesn't that make sense? Her whole life has changed. Her whole life has changed. And what does she do? Luke says the people who are telling him about this is, man, I'm telling you, you should have saw her jump. You should have heard her sing. You should have heard her accolades to Jesus Christ. She praised God. Her whole life had changed. Verse 14. Now look at 14. But, there's one of those big buts. I told you those big buts always cause problems. But, the leader in charge. Look what it says. But the leader in charge of the synagogue. Oh man, usually you give that to somebody who shows some kind of spiritual insight toward God, some responsibility, somebody we could call, look up to, we could call them when we need help, somebody we could trust. The leader of the sin in charge of the synagogue was in Dignant, he or the Greek means he's much displeased. What? A woman, eighteen years, hindered because of satanic influence. Why would he be displeased if she's been healed? Look, look what it says. Please look at what it says. Because some of you think I talk about traditional church and people are traditionalists because I'm opposed to you. No, because they get in the way what God wants to do so often. Look what happens. That Jesus was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. We don't do it like that. That's what he's saying. We don't do it like that. Look what he says. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days. Are we okay? Come. Okay, back here. They're okay. Nobody died. Look. Look. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. You see, the traditional lust, the traditional lust wants it done their way. That's what they want. And that's what he wanted. Forget, forget the woman. Forget the good that God's doing. It's not the way I'm used to seeing it done. Be careful. Be careful. You become a traditionalist and your children will leave you. 
Some of you listened on the radio this week when Matt and I was interviewed by 90.9 Divine. They'll archive that. You can listen to that. I don't know if I said it on the radio, but I know I said it in between when, when I was asked some questions because I was trying to be real careful. But I think I said it on the radio. But if we're not careful in our churches, we become slaves to our self-preference. In other words, we are traditional in the way we like to do things. And we become a slave to our self-preference. I said that we lose our children and our grandchildren. They'll keep coming to church as long as you're alive. Maybe. Maybe. But then when you're gone, they'll stop going to that church that's full of self-preference. Here's a man full of self-preference. A woman's life has changed and she is praising God. And what is he doing? He is indignant. And he is correcting God Almighty. You people can come another day. He shouldn't be doing that now. Look what happens in 15. But the Lord replied. I like how Luke wrote that. How God's got him to write that. Jesus replied, no. (laughs) The Lord. Lord in Greek means the boss. And you may not call Jesus boss. I'm going to tell you, if you go to work and you don't recognize who's boss, how long do you think you're going to be comfortable at that job? If you get to stay at that job. Who's you? The boss? Big deal. (laughs) And some of us, listen, like people back then, when Jesus encounters us, who are you? Jesus, the Lord? But the Lord replied. Look how he says it in the plural. You hypocrites. We only got one guy speaking up. But can you imagine those shade tree committee people say, keep talking, keep talking. Tell him how it is. Let's straighten him out. And Jesus knows there's a lot of people caught up in their tradition, losing their children, losing their grandchildren. Because they can't get away. God is not caught up in their actions. They are to be caught up in God's actions. And so Jesus says, you hypocrites, talking about that man and those who are listening who might be caught up with what He is saying. Verse 15 goes on. Each of you work on the Sabbath. Each of, your, each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? In other words, he's saying, come on. If your animal's needing something, you do work. And so he says, this dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, she's of Jewish heritage, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Don't give up on Jesus. Okay, don't give up. 18 years seems like a long time. Don't give up on Jesus. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? And look what, look what Luke writes. Luke's not there. Luke is hearing this from the people who were there. Don't you understand that? Look what it says. This shamed his enemies. That word shame in the Greek means they felt dishonored. He would say that to us in our synagogue? He would say that to us on our property? He would say that to us right here? 
In other words, somebody who's talking to Luke, or some people talking to Luke said, you should have seen them. I mean, they were like thermometers with their blood pressure rising, and it burst. They felt dishonored. You ever say, that preacher doesn't care anything about me. All he wants to do is reach those other people. You ever say, man, my small group leader, all he wants to do or she wants to do is reach new people. Nobody cares about me. You ever feel dishonored? Because they won't do it your way? In a world, listen, America, 250 years, 280 years of Christianity being strong in it. And instead of becoming the most saved nation, God honoring Jesus Christ our nation, we are the third most lost nation in the world. Something's not right, folks. Just like back then, people weren't learning about the love of God. They were learning about a taskmaster God. And they were being guided by bullies that were beating them up, not helping them to be set free. God loves you. Listen, young man, listen, lady. You have potential. I want you to know that. You have potential in God's hands and in His mind and all that He is doing. If you'll just pay attention to Him, He'll start bringing transformation. Matt talked about it in that woman and her family. He'll start bringing transformation to your life. Look at the second blank on your message map. The enemies of Jesus were the religious people who put tradition over showing God's love to people. You know, it always amazes me. Now, I've been involved in church leadership as pastor, as minister, for over 40 years. And I get invited. Traditionalists will invite you into their home. We'll see that when we move into the 14th chapter. We've already seen it. These Pharisees invite Jesus into their home. They'll invite you to their home because they just want to buddy up with you. But boy, whenever you don't do it their way, whoo! Okay? And here we got. We got Jesus and this guy's confronting him. And you know just exactly what it says on your message map. The enemies of Jesus were the religious people who put tradition over showing God's love to people. I'll go and visit those folks, and you know what I'll learn often? Those people will treat their animals better than they will those people who come to church who, who may have some kind of body art that's different or some kind of, of word usage that is different or, or take some ideas that are different. I've talked to those people. Listen, they'll, they'll, they'll love their garden better than they'll love those people. And how do I know? Because they hold their traditions that tends to say we don't want those kinds of people. The enemies of Jesus were the religious people. Right now, it's not the Romans. Right now, it's not the people who say, I hate Jehovah God. The enemies of Jesus that will lead to His crucifixion are the religious people who put tradition over showing God's love to people who need to feel that love. Look at verse 17. Let's go on. After the word enemy, I would recommend you underline the next five words. Because I've talked so hard about this. 
And they see all this, and Jesus calls hypocrites, but what happens to all the people? But all the people rejoiced. Very important when you read this to see that. Even though Jesus is correcting these religious people who He calls hypocrites, okay? Listen, you're not a hypocrite just because you have trouble living for God. A hypocrite is a play actor. That's where the word comes from. Somebody puts on a mask. You know if you're trying to work with your situation and with your temptations and with your sins and with your troubles. Hypocrite doesn't even acknowledge that. But look what happens. All the people rejoiced at the wonderful things Jesus did. That's what we've got to understand. The woman who was healed, verse 13 says she's rejoiced. That's what she did. And here in verse 17, even though you have this indignant leader who speaks up, there's those people who won't let the religious traditionalists rain on their parade and what God is doing. And what do they do? They rejoice. They get caught up in rejoicing. And I challenge you to get caught up in rejoicing. Be careful. You may have went to a church where men didn't sing. Well, they're wrong. And if your dad doesn't sing, he's wrong. And if your grandfather doesn't sing, he's wrong. You may have went to a church that says you can't wear a hat in worship. They're wrong. And I could just give you illustration out of illustration. Why do I say that? Because you see what God wants you to do when you get in community. He wants you to rejoice because Jesus is doing some things. Look, I come every Sunday morning. If you were in my prayer life, I'm telling Him, I'm looking for things that I see you do in the lives of people. And I will rejoice, Father. I will rejoice. If sometimes when I come on Sundays, whenever I'm with community and connect group or wherever, if, if, if it's something that happened in my life, great! Great! But I want you to understand, if it doesn't happen in my life, but it's happening in somebody else's life, great! I rejoice. Do you understand that? That's what we get here. Don't read this so fast that you miss it. I know. I know there's people who are going to be in our groups. They're going to come, and they are never going to rejoice. They're never going to show an excitement about Jesus touching lives. They know He has. They know He has in their own families. But they won't rejoice. And here they got this leader of this synagogue stands up and corrects God Himself, the Lord. Can you imagine this woman's probably starting to say, maybe I shouldn't sing. Maybe I ought to just be quiet. Maybe I ought to go back to my seat and just sit down. But Luke says, the people he interviewed said, all of a sudden, all the people started saying, Woo-hoo! Man, this guy's got power. He changes people. Listen, when you come to connection, come ready to rejoice. I know you could tell me, but my life's not been so great this week. You can tell me, I've not got God's blessing this week. But listen, rejoice because you're content, because God never fails, God never abandons. And so you're going to rejoice because you know He's touching somebody else's life even if you don't feel your life has been touched. Look at verse 18. Then Jesus said, What is the kingdom of God like? Now listen, He says this in context. 
Okay? Look what he says. Then Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It's like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in the garden. It grows and becomes a tree that the birds make nests in its branches. Verse 20, he also asked, what else is the kingdom of God like? It is like the yeast a woman. The yeast a woman used in making bread, even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. They have just seen the power of God. Now listen, you and I, if every, every time we get together somebody's healed who's been sick for 18 years, we're going to get excited. And some people can only believe in the power of God that heals People like that. Okay? I don't believe God heals every time that way. I do believe God heals. That's why some of you know I pray for that with you at times. But Jesus moves from this because now the people are rejoicing. Bring more. Bring more. Let's have a healing service. Bring more. Bring more. The only reason Christ is here is so we can be healed of our infirmities. What did Jesus say? He said, let me tell you what the king of God's about. The king of God is like a person who plants a little seed in the ground. But one day, it grows into a big tree. Now you see, can you imagine that man saying, hey son, let's go out and plant a little seed in the ground. No, dad, I want to play video games. Come on, daughter, let's go plant a seed in the ground. Oh, Dad, why? Hey, honey, how about if we go out and we just have a picnic and plant a seed in the ground? Oh, gee, you always got these romantic ideas. Gosh, I got a headache. Some of you got that, okay? But 10 years go by, or 5 years, or 15 years. The boy comes with his children. I say, look at daddy. Look at all the birds. He runs out there and daddy says, yeah, watch. And he shakes the limbs and all the birds fly. And the boy goes, yay, daddy, yay. And then the birds settle down. He said, do it again, daddy. And daddy goes, yay. And the birds fly. And the little boy goes, yay, daddy, yay. Why does the grandchild, the son of the son who is too busy playing the video games, gets to feel the thrill of the blessing? Because you see, the kingdom of God are the little things. That's what they are. You see, the kingdom of God is you and I not saying, yeah, I think that one's important enough for me to volunteer to do, and I'll stay with it. The kingdom of God is working with a two-year-old Kim God is the little thing of going and being supportive as a leader in Kids Rock. The King of God is giving your time. When we eat at the property, to be that man who pays attention to the trash of everybody else who never empties it. It's all in the little things. And when it happens... You see, when that seed's put in the ground, there's no big tree. When that yeast is put in that bread, it's not ready to be ate, enjoyed, and blessed by the people. And when you do those little things, there's not always, you know, when you get on the floor and you arm wrestle with a little boy, but may that little boy grow up and one day say, Pastor Mike, would you mentor me? 
The kingdom of God is always in the little things, folks. And a lot of folks don't like to be involved with the church that says, will you be a part of building the little things? You know, see, playing an instrument one Sunday, that's exciting, I'm on. Playing an instrument, little thing, every Sunday for the rest of your life. Now, I don't know about that. But the kingdom of God, the little th- showing up one Sunday, okay, let's have high attendance. The little thing of just making it part of your schedule of activities. The kingdom of God always starts. I call it steps of faith. Listen to me. A person says, well, you mentor me. That's a little thing. They don't even know what mentoring means. And they say, oh, my goodness, you mean 40 minutes a week? I mean, come on. That's only a little thing. That's not even 168th of your week. But that person gives themselves that little thing. And then all of a sudden, their family sees a transformation and the family starts being impacted. That's what the kingdom of God's all about. The kingdom of God is, is a man who says, you know what, I've heard what Pastor Mike has said, and I've watched some of these men. I know how they treat their women. And I'm going to start giving my living life for my wife or my girlfriend. I'm not going to take her and use her. I'm going to give myself for her. That's a little thing. That's a little thing. Doesn't seem like it's going to accomplish much. But as time passes... You are the person who can create a relationship of intimacy, not only with your wife, but now your marriage is such that you and your wife's life touches the lives of many other through that close relationship. See, that's what Jesus is trying to say. He said, I know y'all praising now. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Because this woman's been healed, I want you to understand, this isn't what the kingdom of God is all about kingdom of God is in the little things, the steps of faith you make. I want to tell you, some of you women, years ago you took a step of faith. You decided you were going to go to be with God's people at church on a regular basis. Your husband didn't go. Your kids didn't go. Nobody else supported you. You kept going. You kept going. Just a little thing. Your husband thought it was ridiculous maybe. Oh, he didn't say anything, but he never did really support you by being there. Your children, they just, when they was little, they went along because your husband says, I want to be free. Take the kids with you, okay? And so you took the kids. But they fell by the way. said, you stayed with it, but listen, it's past. And all of a sudden, you see in your family, God's blessings begin to come. It's the little things. That's what Jesus is trying to get. This is in context. This is in context. You make those steps of faith. Just like he says, the yeast permeates every part of the dough. God will take your step of faith and He will permeate every part of your life It's the little things, folks. The little things. Reading your Bible. The little things. Pray. The little things saying when you don't, your pride says, I don't want to. If you listen to the song before we worship that Josh played, man, thank God for Josh. I love Josh Moyer. You older folks, you know what he's trying to do for you? You traditionalists, you say, just sounds like a rock music to me. He He tries to get the words on the screen. If you'll just read the words as the music's playing, the pre-worship music, and one of them talked about, empty me, Lord, because it said, of the poison of my pride. 
And so maybe it's the little things. Maybe the little thing is you just simply need to say to your mate, Honey, I've been holding this too long now. I am sorry I've been holding on to it. I forgive you. The little things. That's what Jesus is telling them. Folks, I wanted to go on to the end of the chapter because really he's not through talking to these people. We'll have to continue next week, but I want to tell you something. When you get up to leave, it will be the little thing you do that God will use to build his kingdom. Not the big thing. Big things happen. But it's the little things that build the kingdom. That trees grow from. That blessing of food multiplies from. Are you involved in the little things? I'm going to tell you. The Father knows you are. Because I get to watch you. I see you involved in the little things. And the people who know you know if you're involved in the little things. Not for yourself. You see, the man who planted a seed might have died before the tree got big enough. But his grandson got the blessing. And the lady who put the yeast in the bread fixed the food, and she didn't eat probably all the bread. Her family and friends ate it up. The little things that may not necessarily always bring the most blessing to your life will be the things God will use to build His kingdom to bring the blessings to the lives of other people. Will you do the little things? Have you quit? Did you once do the little things, but all of a sudden your vocation, your job out there is too important that you've stopped doing the little things? Did you used to do the little things when you were in youth group, but all of a sudden you're able to drive and you don't have time to do the little things? Have you stopped doing the little things? In the midst of this rejoicing, in the midst of the rebuking, the healing, the rebuking, and the rejoicing, Jesus says, now I want to get it straight. The kingdom of God and the blessings that come from the kingdom of God come about because of the little things. Don't pass up when you leave today. That little thing God might want you to do while you're here, where you go eat, this week where you work, where you play, where you go to school. Do we have any questions? If we become content with everything, how will we ever progress? Contentment doesn't mean you don't progress. Look, I mean, if you know me, I just soon sell my house, get an apartment. My wife says we're not ready for that yet. Okay? And she's right. A lot of things connection does happens at my house. We've got family that still comes over. I can't wait till we're too old. They won't come to my house, and we can go to my children's house. Okay? I just do not have any grass. Now, hear me. Okay? Matter of fact, Laura would tell you, I would rather concrete or asphalt all my yard. I think it's just a waste of time to cut grass. Now, understand this, okay? Okay? But I have grass. And one thing I've learned in life is whatever God gives me, then I do the best I can to make it quality. The best I can. Makes no difference how, how, how much value may be in what I have. I do the best I can to make it quality. So I try to keep my garage clean. I try to keep my cars clean. And you know what? I try to kill weeds in my grass. 
I try to keep it green. I cut it high instead of short because I read that makes it look better. I can't wait till the day I don't ever have to spray any more weeds. I don't have to cut any more grass. So you see, I still progress. I take care of my vehicles. If Laura says there, I told her this afternoon, this afternoon, three things. I said, now, before Connect Group tonight, three things I'll try to get done for us. See, I progress. But if I don't get them done, I still be content. Content doesn't stop progress. Why should we be content with diseases of slavery? Nobody says be content with diseases of slavery. You got a disease? You come and talk to me? I'll, I'll ask you this. Hey, have you been to the doctor? Go to the doctor. Been a man this week? He told me he had a problem with his health. I, I was going to inquis, ask him. He doesn't come to Connection. I, I thought maybe Connection could help him. But I was going to say, and I found out he goes to church. And if he would have told me he couldn't take care of his health problem because he didn't have the money, I've done this before, I would have said, i tell you what, you go ask your church to help you. Christian people will help you. And if they will help you, you tell them Connection will help you halfway. You know what normally happens? They go to their church, and their church takes care of all of it. So you see, you got a disease, you got a problem. Go to the doctor. Slavery, by all means, give your life to set other men and women free. I'm never telling you be content with slavery. Paul told the slave, if you find yourself in slavery, then you love your master. So if you can't get out of that slavery, you love your master, by all means... You've got a chance to speak out against slavery, to abolish it, speak out. Let's go on. Why should we be content with debt? Hey, don't! I don't think you should live with debt. The Bible says this, if you have any debt, you're a slave to whoever you owe that debt to. You go to sleep at night wondering about who you owe that debt to. You can't relate to your mate when it comes to having good sex because you're thinking about debt. You can't be really gentle with your children because you're thinking about the debt. No, I'm not telling you to be content with debt. Come on. I've never said that. Look, it goes on. It says, why should we not have a desire to provide better for our family and neighbors? By all means. You know, I think God planted nice trees so you can have cherry wood furniture instead of pine wood furniture. Are you following with me? I'm not against buying new cars. My car's better than a lot of your cars, my vehicles. I got a full-size van. We had a funeral go to. I told anybody in my family they want to go. We took 10 of them. Could you take 10 of them in one vehicle? See, I'm not opposed to you providing better. And I'm not trying to brag with you. I'm just telling you, don't interpret from contentment. Contentment is where you are controlled that you have to have. Or discontentment is where you're controlled you have to have more. The lack of contentment is where you can't be satisfied. Listen, eating cheese and crackers. And not having steak. And I'm glad, I've said this before, I'm glad cows are made of steaks. I like steaks. Some of you have given me some very good steaks. See? I'm not telling you don't. If you're, te- if you're interpreting it, you're interpreting it the wrong way. But you know what? You said I do to your mate. You are to learn to find contentment. Not with their wrong behavior. But most mates aren't wrong 24-7 in their behavior. You add to it by your grouchiness and your nagging. you got parents that maybe aren't as good parents as your friends at school. The Bible says, 
obey your parents. You say, but I got bad parents. Seven, 24-7? Most likely not. Okay? Let's bow together, and then we're done. Father, thank you for this time. Please, God, please don't have anybody leaving here thinking I'm saying we ought to be content with wrong, and we ought to not try to take what you've given us in our strength and our, our thinking, our mind, and improve ourselves. God, I'm glad. I'm glad, Father, that my great-grandpa shared the idea that we should not walk a path anymore to go to the bathroom. And Father, I know, I know from what my dad said, my older brothers and sisters had to walk a path to go to the bathroom. But God, I'm so thankful my dad wasn't content with a hole in the ground. And the celebration when they had indoor plumbing. And that, Father, I got the joy of that. Please don't let anybody leave, God. Thinking they should be content with not living up to the potential of their strength and their mind to improve life for all of us. And God, Help all of us to leave here looking for the little thing we can do the minute I say amen until we put our head down on the pillow and go to sleep. God, help us that we would see the little things you want us to do for your kingdom. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.